Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven Fulham podcast. We are now streaming live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. Come join me and my dad and my brother and the wonderful community that we have built. Discuss the team that we love and all the wonderful things that are a part of it. We appreciate you all endlessly for following us on this fantastic journey that we are so blessed to be a part of. But let's not waste any more time. Jack, you play that intro and come on. You are free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from down under. Here again, very quickly, to discuss the Aston Villa game coming up on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning for us overseas in Australia. To talk about this one, I have Elton. How are we going? Pretty good, thanks. Uh, this is a very, uh, very close um, broadcast of the last one. Uh, can we talk about rates? Increase in rates? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, definitely a little busy period for us here. I think we're going to probably smash out three podcasts in about four or five days. So lucky, lucky followers. And also to talk this one through, Sammy, how are we going? What's up? Sam's a bit gassy, but he's, 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 he's doing all right. He's doing all right. He's ready for this. He's ready to learn about Aston Villa. TMI, Sammy, but thank you for joining us today, despite your um, physiological issues. I mean, Um, like I said, not too much. Um, a bit of a turnaround here for us with uh, a couple of games back-to-back. It's been a while since we've had quick turnarounds like this, but we've got the uh, Saturday game that's just gone against Leeds. We obviously have this game coming up against Villa, and then on the weekend, Sunday, we've got Man City. So um, three games in a very short space of time. Dad, off the back of the Leeds game, how are you feeling going into this Villa game? Well, you have to laugh. You know, we, we're talking about... Uh, being stretched, doing back-to-back podcasts, and, and the players are actually spending extra time in the ice bath to actually prepare for this. I, I, I think we're probably doing fine over here. Look, oh, you um, say that we do a preview and a review. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're so right, Jack. You're so right. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't think the Leeds game, notwithstanding that. You know, 90 minutes of Premier League football, 98 minutes of Premier League football is is tough on the body at this end of the season. I don't feel like it was a very high-tempo game and really taxing. We actually looked like we were enjoying ourselves a bit out there, really. Um, it wasn't that stressful. And I feel like we've got a bit in our back pocket in terms of some very fresh legs. we got, you know, Man of Solomon, who must be absolutely itching itching to play and start. Um, Vinny tapping Marco, Marco, um, Marco's shoulder on a regular basis, reminding him that he's very available, and a few others. Uh, so so difficult, but Aston Villa have only had a short break as well. Uh, so open season. Yeah. Sammy, your Aston thoughts going into this one? Aston Villa are good, is my thoughts. Um, they're good and they're on a lot of form, but we're like we are on the up. And um, uh, Dan James returning to the side actually fills me with some pretty good confidence. Um, 
Yeah, I, I I don't really know how to like fully, fully, fully pick it. I love that you're scoffing at Dan James, Dad. Like I, that 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 did not go unnoticed. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's hard, isn't it? Because like, Aston Villa have really come into like some pretty miraculous form. So it's definitely not the same team that we played earlier in the season. And um, I think we gave them a hiding from memory as well. Like we're definitely not playing that Aston Villa. So. Yeah. Oh, it's it's tantalizing, isn't it? It's good it's good journalism. Uh, it's true. Last time we met we beat Villa 3-0. Uh Harrison Reed scored Mitro with a penalty, Tyron Mings with an own goal, and uh Villa did have Douglas Louise sent off in that game. It was a pretty um pretty solid batching. I think Gerard might have lost mm. his job not long after that, actually. Yeah. Oh, I did um, too, he did. didn't he? he? Did. Yeah. Oh, I, felt, yeah. I feel like we it's, absolutely it's, nicked one. We nicked one. It, it did got, feel a little a, bit like that. Yeah, we we got them in a really weak moment. Uh, mm. Why do I say that with such glee in glee in my voice? But uh, <laughs> but I, I think know, that's mate. that's a fair call from Sammy though. It it definitely is a very different Aston Villa side um, going into this game. Villa on a really really good run. Um, I don't think they've lost since they played Arsenal back in. Uh, mid-February. So they, they've been picking up points. And I do remember we were talking about the table a while ago and saw Villa a couple of places behind us and sort of going, yep, you know, we, we've got it over Villa. We should be fine. And they've just been picking up points nonstop since then. Um, mm. Let's um, have a quick look at the last five for each side. Fulham, obviously, Damn. with a couple of wins, 2-1 uh, against Leeds, 3-1 against Everton, and then the... Um, Unfortunate results, 1-0 loss to West Ham, 2-1 to Bournemouth and 3-1 to Man United recently. Um, Villa, though, in really good form. They had a one-all draw with Brentford where, look, it, it probably wasn't a very good performance and it's probably their worst performance in a while. Uh, before that, though, 3-0 win against Newcastle, 2-0 against Forest, 2-1 against Leicester and 2-0 against Chelsea. They're, they're on some really good mm. form. And before that, if you go back further as well, there's a 3-0 win against Bournemouth. 1-0 against Crystal Palace, 2-0 against Everton, one all against West Ham. Now, admittedly, they haven't been playing the toughest teams and have probably had what could be considered a fairly similar run to us in terms of playing some relegation scrappers. But looking at those results, even the 2-0 against Chelsea, who are still not a bad side despite their poor form, and 3-0 against Newcastle, who we know are a very decent team. Um, Dad, looking wow. at Villa's recent results... What are we thinking in terms of how tough this is? This game is going to be compared to our last four, for example. In the context of Newcastle's recent absolute drubbing of <laughs> you know of, of Tottenham, um, Villa beating Newcastle just two weeks ago three nil is monstrous. Villa's yeah, very good at the moment, man. <laughs> They're that's very, very crazy. Strong. That's great. I mean, if you look at it in that context, that's crazy, right? Mm. Um, <clears throat> so th this is ob obviously a really difficult game for us. There's, there's, I, I would so love to pick up even a point in this game. I'd be delighted to pick up a point because we've got two very difficult fixtures to follow. Mm. And, you know, to, to just to keep, to get something out of the a, a little bit of momentum, um, on the back of the the last two games, where we have turned it around, it'd be it'd be really disappointing 
to uh, get badly beaten here and then, you know, be manhandled by by the next two opponents. That's going to be a little bit difficult for us, for us to bounce back from. So it'd be really good if we can hold our own, possibly even nick a win, but at least get a draw out of someone who I think we kind of regard as our Premier League table peer at the moment. Is that, is that mm. saying too much? Well, okay, so that's a, that's a really interesting point because I I don't actually know what our best case scenario is in like in this kind of like I don't know what our most realistic best case scenario is because I don't know if it's realistic to say that we can actually beat Villa or if it's more realistic to assume that we can draw against Villa because I don't actually I'm not a Villa expert like I'm not watching them every week I just know that they've just been accumulating points but I I, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly how they play so I don't necessarily know and especially with our new system that we've got going, I don't necessarily know how that plays against this Villa squad. I don't know. Who is a Villa expert here? Well, well, uh, uh, You're re- really you talking about the podcast's it, ability to uh, analyse a game okay. there, Sammy. I'll have a very expert. quick go. Yeah, yeah. I think if you, if you look at the singular element that's actually behind Villa's success, it's Watkin is scoring a lot of goals, right? Yeah, so singular though. Well, pretty if much. he's scoring a hat full of goals, it's it's pretty pretty fundamental. So you've got to be great <clears> against him, and you've got to nullify him. And obviously, there'll be a plan in place to try and do that. Um, you, you you can't put too, you you don't want to be putting two men on him to nullify him and then expose other channels. But if we can, if our our defense is good. Our defence is really good, and they I think they were great against Leeds last week, and they were really good against Everton as well. And if if we could, excuse me, if we can really cut him out of the game, um, you know, why can't we score a goal or two? And therefore, why can't we have a win? Entirely well, possible. It is... Yeah, Jack, you go. It, it is very much down to Watkins, and, and not to say he's a... a Villa are a one-man team, but I think if you were an opposition club, you'd look at Fulham and go, it's down to stopping Mitro. And it, it's mm. very similar in the fact that um, before the Brentford game, Watkins had scored 11 goals in 12 games. Um, Villa in those games often scored only one or two goals. And and Watkins, I mean, in the Newcastle game, Watkins scored two. Most of the other games, they win 2-0, 2-1, and Watkins is scoring at least one of those goals. If you nullify Watkins and can shut him out of the game and stop him from scoring, it definitely gives you a much higher chance of, of beating them. And I, I think with the form that our centre-backs and our defensive unit in general are in, I feel like we actually have a pretty good opportunity against Villa to get a result. I, I feel like Tosin, Diop, or Ream, whoever starts at centre-back, I feel like they would be able to handle Watkins because he's... It's not that he's super fast. He he has got a bit of speed to him, but his movement is very good. And I think one of the qualities of Tim Ream, for example, is that he's always in the he right place the at the right well. time. Yeah, mm. And I think having Ream basically there to nullify Watkins gives us a really good opportunity of winning this game. I agree. No, that's fair. Again, I just don't know what Villa are like. 
So, yeah, I'm just asking questions. It's good to ask questions on a podcast. Well, <laughs> you're meant to answer the question, Sammy. Let's jump back and have a quick look at the actual timings for this game. Uh, it's a 7.45 p.m. kickoff in the U.K., uh, for us here in Australia on the West Coast, it's 2.45 a.m. kickoff, 4.45 for the East Coast of Australia. And over in the U.S., uh, Pacific time, we have an 11.45 a.m. kickoff. And Eastern time, it's a 2.45 p.m. kickoff. Um, so so very nice nice timings for those over in the U.S. A lovely evening game uh, for those of us in England as well. Uh, an unfortunate timing for us here in Australia, but I think I'll be getting up for this one, seeing as I'm working from home the next day. Um, let's have a quick look at <laughs> hey, the that, that table old as it stands. <laughs> uh, let's have a look at the table as it stands at the moment. Like we said, Villa have been in scintillating form recently, and it's been really impressive how, how well they've performed and how many points they've managed to pick up. And it hasn't seen them skyrocket up the table. It wasn't long ago we were looking down at them. I think they had about 35 points, and they just keep picking up wins uh you know in their last one two three four five six seven eight nine games uh they've won seven of them uh so that quickly picks you up 21 points and the other two results were draws so they've picked up 23 points from their last nine games which is i mean that's that's like top four kind of standard if not slightly better to pick up that many points in in such a small space of time and they're just doing it at the exact right time in the season as well there's six games to play. After this one, Villa only have five games left this season. But they've placed themselves perfectly. And with Tottenham stumbling as well, Villa sitting in sixth place with just two points behind Tottenham, they'd actually be looking at this game against us and going, this is a real opportunity for us to push up the table. I think they've got mm. to still play um, Man United, Liverpool, Brighton in the next few weeks uh, after uh, the game against us. Um and then their season's pretty much done at that point. And I think they've only got two games left. I'm not 100% sure who those against. Um, I think Tottenham will probably be one of those games actually for them. So they're looking to pick up points similar to us in the next few games where you look at them and go, if we can get anything out of these games, it's it's a massive bonus for us and it sets us up really well for the rest of the season. Um, if, if Villa beat us, then almost certainly move into fifth place and probably put themselves in the box seat for Europe. Um, if we get the win, we actually keep the pressure up on on the top half of the league there. We jump up to 48 points, which would be uh, a really good result. 45 points at the moment after 31 games is the highest points tally Fulham have ever had at this point in the season, which Jeez. is something that, you know everyone at Fulham should be patting themselves on the back for because anything from here really does feel like a bonus. Uh, we're pretty much locking ourselves away for top half a top half finish at the moment. We've got uh, a lead on Brentford. We've got a lead on Chelsea. And, you know, this game here gives us the opportunity to go nine points ahead of Chelsea with admittedly one more game played. It also gives us a chance to go four points ahead of Brentford and have played the same number of games as them. And it's just setting us up for a really nice finish to the season, especially with a couple of rough games against Liverpool and Man City to come in the coming weeks. I think points here actually become even more important, even though it's maybe not a must-win game, for example. But uh, I think if you're looking over the next uh, sort of three, four weeks, this is the game that you'd be targeting to pick up points from. Because if we can pick up three yeah. points from Villa, Man City and Liverpool, then 
you'd probably take it at this stage. I don't know about you guys. Dad, would you agree with that? Or do you think we should maybe be looking to pick up points off Liverpool and Man City as well? Am, am I correct in saying that every point, or sorry, every position in the Premier League table is allegedly worth about £2 million for a club? It's, Ooh, it's somewhere in the region, yeah. In, in terms of yeah. prize money, um, <clears throat> you, you're probably I, looking I think, at a couple of million. I think it's million. close to that. Yeah. So you know what I'd be doing at this point where it appears and everyone's talking about the fact that we don't have that much to play for. I'd be getting everyone into a little meeting room, all the players, if I were Tony Khan, and I'd be saying, right, um, I'm, I'm going to give you a bonus and I'm going to share this with you. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you half of whatever we win as a club for every incremental table position so if it's another two million if you know to climb another point you guys are going to share half of that that's what i'd be doing you reckon mm. they're going to be doing that after charging three thousand for for tickets <laughs> um, well think about it you know um the, the only way you really win in life is if you take people with you and if you want to keep it all yourself not notwithstanding the fact that they have made the investment all themselves up to now but if you share the points, uh, share the dollars or the pounds, whatever you want, but you miraculously get people to fight for their life and you climb up from ninth and you finish seventh and suddenly now we've got Europe, um, that would be an out-of-body performance from where we sit. And mm. I would be doing anything in my power to incentivize people to achieve that it's pretty interesting though because like i think that like i mean you can and that's why i'm not the ceo of Fulham. yeah yeah well it's good <laughs> because yeah, like money. yeah like because like, you can incentivize like these players by money but i think they're like pretty well incentivized by literally just trying to get into europe so i'm not necessarily sure like if anything, probably offering more money actually adds more pressure to them. Like, if anything, you just want to give them as focused as possible. Is that fair? I think they're all highly motivated by money, not to take anything away from them, but I you think know, they're highly motivated. I think, well, I think I'm not sure about that, you know, like, because I feel that, like, these, like, like when Premier League athletes are like a weird level of competitiveness. Like, like, have you ever seen, like, um, those behind the scenes of just like uh like man city was a really interesting one like if you've ever been on like man city's youtube channel they're, they're obsessively competitive or like england's youtube channel when they were at like the world cup of the euros like those players just have to win everything and everything that they touch like it's it's really in their they're, dna yeah but they are definitely motivated by money otherwise why would players move from clubs they love there's only a handful of players who hang around at clubs that aren't super successful because mm. they just love to play football. People move because they get paid more money to move. It's yeah, as simple as that, really. Um, one thing to say about Villa and their current position, I just pulled up the, their fixtures for the rest of the season. Uh, after this game against Fulham, they've got Man United away, Wolves away, Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home. That's how they finish off their season. Realistically, mm. if we can stop them picking up three points against us, there is a high likelihood that Villa could only pick up three points for the rest of the season after go. this with a win against Wolves. There you go. So yeah. that effectively would lock them down to 54 points. 
and their goal difference, I assume, would probably plummet as well because you'd expect them to lose a fair few of those games. Um, if we jump up to 58 points, uh, we basically just need to get two more wins for the rest of the season. We've got Palace, Southampton, uh, you know, very winnable games uh, towards the, the back end of the year. Uh, there's a high possibility that a, it, a result here actually helps us leapfrog Villa down the track. Now, I, I still mm, think Liverpool yeah. and Brighton are going to be a little bit too good for us and continue to pull away. Just Brighton have the games in hand and they have the quality as well. And Liverpool are just able to pull results constantly. Um, but, you know, finishing eighth, I think, is is not out of not out of our reach at this stage. Um, so it actually puts a bit more weight onto this game because of what's coming up in the future. So um, mm. let's have a quick look and push forward uh, to have a look at potential lineups. So I've gone with a couple of changes here from the team that played last time out. Um, across the back line, I've finally given up on trying to get Diop back into the team because I think Tosin <laughs> just genuinely deserves to stay there. Um Nothing against Diop at all. I think he quite quite fairly could slot into this side, but I, I just think Tosin's been in such good form recently. Uh, it's it's almost impossible to drop him. So across the back, Leno and goal, Tete, Tosin, Ream and Robinson. I've gone with a change in the middle, and it's based on a bit of a knock that Harrison Reed picked up. Well, a couple of knocks Harrison Reed picked up in the last game. He just looked a little bit leggy towards the end. I know he got subbed off. Um, a little bit earlier than we'd usually expect. Um, so I've gone for Lukic to come in with Polina and actually start just to give Reed a bit of time off. I think um, you probably want Reed back for the games against Man City and uh, Liverpool because I think he's part of our best 11, but I'd like to see Lukic be given a go just so Reed can have a bit of a rest. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's surely got a dead leg after the weekend. I, I don't know how he continued after going down so many times. Mm. Um, and then up top, the the main change there is the return of Dan James up front. I think Bobby Deckard over Reed uh, did an admirable, 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 oh gosh. Admirable, admirable. Admirable job. Your mother would have a fit. That was a little stroke moment there. Apologies. I'll take my heart rate at the end of this. Um, but I think Dan James comes back into the side. Um, it, it worked really well against Everton. And I think we're going to return to that. And obviously sticking with Willian, Wilson and Pereira. Uh, interesting to see Willian not subbed off on the weekend. Uh, yeah, he's usually, no, he was, oh, he, was he subbed off very late? Very late, yeah. Uh, he's usually one of the first players to come off. Um, but he obviously got kept on for a little bit longer. I'm not sure if there was a particular reason for that, um, but kind of good. Yeah, he, it was uh, Neeskins came on in the fourth minute of injury time for Willian, um, mm. but it's it's kind of good to see Willian given that full time because it's, it's a bit of proof that he's actually uh, got the fitness to last a full game and we're not worried about managing him. Um, Dad, I'll throw to you first just to talk about why you didn't would You're... not put Dan James up front? No, no, no. I'm going to avoid that. Why um, your thoughts on Reed or Lukic in the centre midfield? There, I think you make a fair point. I have commented a number of times, and I, I definitely commented <clears throat> in in the last game that I, I'm astonished by Reed's physical resilience 
he he takes he gets such a lot of knocks and he always mm. every time i think this is it this is actually he's going to get carried off and we're not going to see him for a month he takes such a lot of hits um and he just keeps going he's I genuinely quite remarkable. thought they were calling for the stretcher on the weekend yeah it's quite remarkable i th- I, th- I thought he'd done a knee actually mm. um and i think an awful lot has been expected of him. And I, I think to manage, you know, these last games in the season where we really do need our very, very best efforts on the field in order to pick up the points to get to, you know, what, where we deserve to, to finish up. I, I'd be agreeing with you and I'd be giving, I'd be giving him a rest. I think he really needs a rest. I really mm-hmm. think he needs a rest. Um, I would prefer him to partner Polina, but I, I don't mind Sasalukic at all. Um, in terms of, can I keep going? Well, I'll just cut you off and I'll just ask Sam a question off the back of what you just said there, actually, weirdly. Um, we're talking about potentially resting Harrison Reed here. Sam, mm. do you think there's anywhere else across the team where we could consider resting someone else? Ooh, I mean, based off of current form, I'd say that's pretty much our side. I mean, I desperately want Pereira to have a bit of a nap, but there's just no feasible, like, there's no feasible alternative that really makes sense at this current stage. Um, yeah, I mean, you can make an argument for Solomon, but um, from everything that I've seen, I like Solomon coming off as like a super sub. I know that's, I know that's probably not how Solomon feels or what he wants. Um, you could even make an argument for like knee skins coming back, but I don't think that this is the game for it. Uh, yeah. And like when it, with the Sasalukic, I, I would love to see it. I'm just not hundred percent sure if Silver's going to feel the same way. I feel like Silver's very big on playing his absolute best 11, no matter who it is or, how like really like how niggling their injuries are obviously if it's like a proper injury he he takes that into account but yeah i'm not 100 percent convinced he'd start sasalukic as much as i'd actually like to see it i think it'll be interesting because we obviously see knocks on a saturday where players look like they might have picked up a little niggle or something mm. and they have the whole week to recover but with with this we've got three days to or two days to basically recover before the next game i think reed just it just felt like he put himself around so much and got so many knocks that if you're going to rest him at any point this season now would be the time because i think having him back for the man city game is more important than having him play in this villa game when you've got luke it can probably do enough of a job against against villa as well um, mm. Dad, I'll, I'll throw back to you. You wanted to make a comment on uh, the, I, I guess, on Dan James. A very positive. No, one no, no. You, um, no, Sam, I think Sam's got something to say. Carry on, Sam. Oh, no, I kind of did, but then I, I kind of wanted to. I was going to ask, like, maybe if Kenny was, like, feasible. Um, but I, I like Sasalukic there. I kind of don't even really want to entertain it too much because I, I prefer to see... Sasalukic get his time and get um his his moment to kind of like build his confidence over Kenny. But yeah, anyway, go on. Have, have, having said that, that's a good point. If if we think if we think Dan James is a shoe in up front, 
uh, as I've always thought. Um, and we think that Tosin is absolutely locked on at the back, as I've also, also always thought. Um, and we've talked about this before. Maybe, maybe Kenny, Kenny is the guy to actually feed Dan James. Maybe Kenny's the starter. Well, it's possible. That, yeah, but that wasn't the same the, the week that Dan James had the game of his life. So I'm not necessarily sure how Kenny improves it. You know? Oh, oh I, I think, I uh, think Tom, it's, Tom, Tom I think Kenny it's possible because is... mm. I, I agree that I think Kenny's ability to play a good ball through gives him a little bit of an edge over Harrison Reed. What I'd say, though, is I think Lukic is better going forward and has proved that so far in terms of running forward and passing forward as well. He might not be the the at the same creative level as Tom Kearney, but I think he's going to add more in an attacking sense than Harrison Reed has done so far this season. So mm. I, I agree that it, it could potentially be a time for, t- for Tom Kearney to come back into the side, but I, I still like Kearney coming off the bench uh, either when we're winning and he sort of does that thing where he um, he sits back quite deep and just dictates play or when we're losing and he sits a little bit higher up and also dictates play. But um, I just feel like nothing against Kenny, but he, he can sometimes be just a fraction too slow for the Premier League. And I don't mean in terms of um, his physical speed. I mean in terms of he sometimes takes a fraction too long to play the ball. And it's better when he comes off the bench and the players, uh, the opposition players are a little bit more tired and it just gives him that extra bit of time to actually pick the pass that he wants to make and, and play the ball that he wants to play. And I, I'd like to see him continue coming off the bench because I think he's a perfect squad player for us, but I don't think he's quite at the level of starting. Dad, you've got a smirk there. I want to know your thoughts here. <laughs> I'm just wondering whether you're actually saying that Tom Kearney is a Premier League quality player when other when the opposition are knackered. Is that what you're really saying? I'm saying he's he's more able to affect <laughs> he's more able to affect the game when the opposition are tired. It's the same as bringing on someone like an Adama Traore or like like AK47 when he was playing for us. Mm. When you've got someone who can come off the bench late in a game and have an even bigger impact because the opposition are tired. I think when when <clears throat> players are shutting down Tom Kearney hard and, and they're closing them down early on in the game, he sometimes struggles a little bit to get the ball away. But late in the game, you don't see that pressing a- anymore. And I think that's where he thrives, when he's given that extra bit of space to be able to basically work his magic. Um, I, I guess him... where, where yeah, I'm coming from, where I'm coming from is that I, I don't think that if plan B, if we want to sort of think about what plan B actually is, I don't see plan B as Wilson, Pereira, Willian and Dan James knocking the ball around in clever triangles at light speed and opening up defences. I think the real value here is playing balls through, Dan, Dan James dropping deep, playing balls through for him to run on to and simply outrun defenders and hopefully um, get some support, even if he's not the guy relied on to finish, but get the ball back to one of our following wingers to slot mm. balls home. That, that, yeah. that, in my head, that's 
that's I think that's pretty nail on the head. <laughs> I think that's that, that's yeah. the opportunity, right? So, so and I and I think that Tom Kearney, not not that everyone is perfectly capable of playing those balls to Dan James uh, or for Dan James, but I think Tom Kearney and you know I, I like I like Ream. Ream and Kearney, for me, are the guys who actually pull those kind of sort of passes off best of all in this team. I do think, though, if we give yeah. Sasa Lukic the time and um, let him actually build up his place, I think he does have the potential to be that and potentially even better as well. Yeah, I'm happy to see it. I hope I see yeah, it. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with all of that. I think... We're, we're pretty comfortable that Dan James will come straight back in. I think after that performance, he deserves to come back in. Um, mm. And I, I think, yeah, it'll be a bit of a toss-up to see if, like you said, Sammy, if Marco sticks to what he's done all season and just stays with what you would consider his best 11, or if he does consider the fact that we're late in the year and we do need to mix it up a little bit because we've got more important games coming up afterwards as well. Let's have a quick look at the expected Villa 11. Now, the biggest bit of news coming out of Villa is the injury to Martinez at halftime. He was subbed off in the last game, which is not something you see from a keeper. Um, I don't know the extent of his injury, but um, Villa, the official Villa Twitter account, did tweet out saying, get well soon um, to Martinez. So it does look like he's going to be out for a little while. But what that means is we're going to have Olsen in goal. Now, we know Martinez is a very, very good keeper. He's obviously won the World Cup recently, got the Golden Glove. Mm. Um, more so, I think he just adds a lot of confidence to that back line. And so oh, I think yeah. that's significant. it's actually that's a bit of an opportunity mm. for us. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, reserve goalkeeper comes in. He obviously still works with the first team, but you'd expect he's not going to have that same level of communication that Martinez does. So it, it really does feel like an opportunity for us to take a few extra shots. I don't know a huge amount about Olsen and goal, um, but look, it's it's a decent Villa side. But, you know, looking at it on paper, and, and nothing against Villa, but it doesn't look like much more than your sort of mid-table team. you got Ashley like- it right back. <clears throat> Go on, Sammy. Oh, as I, I like how you called it um, communication, and I mean this with the most love. I just think he's the perfect asshole. Like I think he's the perfect asshole in goal because uh, he's he's so cocky and he's so he winds players up so much. And I really am very happy that he is not he's not going to be in this side because yeah, he's 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 serious and like yeah, I I I, th- I think he's incredible. I think more than that, he he makes good saves. That's the best thing about him. As oh a yeah, keeper. of course. He's um mm. he's genuinely saved Argentina multiple times in the World Cup, and it, just looking at some of the highlights from some recent games, he he makes some really big saves from what would be considered high xG chances, where mm. it's more likely than not the player should be scoring, but he he manages to make himself big very often and and get his body in the way. Um, looking at the rest of this Villa team, obviously Watkins up front is a bit of a superstar at the moment, not not just uh, at the moment. It, well, it's more so that he's, he's in such great form, 11 goals in his last 13 games. Um, Buendia is a very good attacking midfielder. Douglas Louise obviously got sent off last time around. I think that was, from memory, something to, he had a little scuffle with Mitro off the ball. Might have been a mm. headbutt on Mitro that went to VAR. Um Across the back, oh, didn't Mitro it's not go the, down? 
I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, it's it's not the strongest backline, but they're they're quite solid at the same time. Um, there's a lot of height there. Tyron Mings and Conta are both very tall, so they're good in the air. Um, but again, you know, we sort of expected that against Everton, and the fact that Dan James is hopefully not going to be challenging them in the air too much. Uh, you'd expect we're going to be playing the ball on the ground a little bit more so. So mm. maybe that's where we can actually make the most of it is is using a bit of pace in around these guys, a bit of pace, a bit of skill. Ashley Young obviously ha- has maybe had his time in the sun. He's a little bit older now, so he's lost that pace, which made him so dangerous previously. Um, mm. But, look, it's it's a good Villa side, but it doesn't seem like a Villa side that should be much further above mid-table, and that's not not taking anything away from them. I'd say if you look at a Fulham team as well, most people would say something similar, saying it looks like a mid-table side. Um, And it's more the fact that they play really well together as a unit and they're pulling results out of their arse non-stop and and getting points and picking them up regularly. Um, Mm. Dad, looking at that team, uh, obviously Watkins is going to be the major threat there. Do you see any other major issues for Fulham or do you think we we are sort of capable of dealing with this side? Well, I, I didn't realise there was that injury <clears throat> and I think that's actually very, very significant. Because if you think about it, if we, if we were going into a really competitive game and we did not have Bert Leno, no, you know, no shade on on our reserve keeper, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, big, it's a big thing. Having a high-performing keeper um, is is usually a massive contributing factor to a mid-table kind of side that is doing really well. It's a huge factor. So I think that's a really good opportunity. Um, and and if you, you sprinkle into that mix, Dan James, I hope he has a super confident game where he does what we want him to do and starts his runs really deep and we play the right balls in and terrorizes that defense. And and then if we if we manage Watkins, game on. This is this is actually potentially lining up to be a really, really competitive and exciting game. Mm. The only thing I can think of is like apparently Tyron Ring uh, Tyron Mings is deceptively fast. And I've heard like quite a few like players actually talk about how he doesn't get the credit for being as fast as he actually is. That's the only thing I can think about. Um, outside of it, I don't really know. Like, I, I don't think like Aston Villa are particularly known for their defensive prowess, so I don't see any reason why we couldn't necessarily get behind them. All, I, all I'm going to say is that I, I really hope that I'm surely, surely Dan James has license to run amok oh, of course. and do what he does. Right. Mm. So, so. I hope he has the confidence, you know, on the back of a pretty good half at least and a goal and the rest is, you know, he's, he's fresh as anything. So I just hope he runs an absolute muck um, and, and does the business. And, look, I'd, I'd also add to that we've now got a bench which can really affect a game. If you think about our, our starting lineup of, uh, Willian, Wilson, Pereira, James in that sort of front four. On top of that, you'd also have Deckard over Reed, Cabano, Solomon, all able to come off the bench and cause a lot of issues. And I, I feel like it's going to be a game where 
we maybe see a few subs a little bit earlier than usual if results aren't quite going our way at that point. Because I, I think what we have on the bench is has the potential to just swing a game completely. We've seen Solomon do mm. it multiple times now. We even saw when Deckard over Reed was on, Cabano was on, Solomon was on. The ball was just zipping around really smoothly. Players having a bit of skill, taking on defenders. Um, I, I feel like we've just got a bit more to us now than we did maybe at the start of the season. And admittedly, a lot of it's been affected by injuries. The fact that we were without Wilson and Solomon up until basically February. Um, we obviously yeah, lost Neeskins as well quite early in the season. Um, it's it's definitely one where we haven't had that full squad available. And I, I heard a little stat when I was listening to Fulhamish earlier today as well. It's It's actually been a year... Well, it will be a year by the time Mitro's back in the side since Wilson, Cabano, and Mitro have all played in the same team together, which is kind wow. of crazy if you consider the fact that they were uh, hands-down starting starting front three for the whole of the championship season. I think they said the last time those three played in a game together was a 7-0 win against Luton. Um, mm. <clears throat> and just the fact that we haven't been able to put what is – Admittedly, Willian probably comes in there as our preferred striker, but we haven't been able to play an informed Wilson with Willian or Cabano and Mitro up front for such a long time. We, we've actually performed out of our skins to be where we are so far this season without having a full eleven at our well, a full best eleven um, at our beck and call throughout throughout the whole year. So it, it's just another hats off moment to us uh, at the end of the day, which. It seems a bit weird to cons consistently be doing, but I think you kind of have to take a step back and look at how well we've done this year and and really appreciate what we what we've achieved. Oh, it's Sa a pretty sadly, historic season. Yeah, no, don't sa sadly, but realistically, I, I don't think we can expect to see an awful lot of Niskin's Cabano every week. He, he's he's going to be managed really, really carefully after such a nasty injury. You know, he'd be he'd be lucky to be picking up five five minutes, you know, progressing towards ten or fifteen by the end of the yeah. season. I would have thought. Mm. Honestly, I'd I'd prefer not to see Cabano for the rest of the season yeah. to ensure that next season he is he's okay. Like mm. I, I feel like I I'm slightly wary that if we try and push him back too early, it's actually going to be detrimental to his recovery. I'd like to see him consistently get. Five, ten, maybe fifteen minutes here and there, but he shouldn't be someone we turn to to change a game. He's someone who comes on at the very end for a bit of match sharpness and about match fitness. Mm. And I think we will manage him well because if you look at how we manage Solomon and Wilson, who effectively have spent the last two months coming back into the side after injury, I don't think there's going to be any chance that we rush Neeskins back. I, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree yeah. with you. I just hope. I just hope, as I said last time, that he actually has enough of an opportunity to show his worth and prove to the management why he's worth retaining and keeping around. I really hope so, because yeah. I, I love him around the club. You know, genuinely, though, I do think Neeskins is a very, very different sort of player to, say, like a Harry Wilson. Like, um, he's, a, he's a lot older, and he, he has a confidence and, like... <laughs> I, I don't want to say like a self-worth about him, but I feel that like he's not necessarily 
as shakable as like a Harry Wilson. So I agree. Five, so like five minutes at the end of the game, that's just really just keeping his fitness up. I feel that it's not necessarily going to mentally affect him the same way that it would with some of our other guys. I think, um, I think that's true, Sam. I think that's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, I think we, we saw it, you know, he's, he's just pumped to be back and I think, Good on him as mm. well. Like he, he looks so excited to be back. I don't know if you saw his little social mm. media post after the game mm. coming out for their warm down on the pitch, and he was just so happy. And I think Vinicius was in the background as well. And even everyone just seems to be happy that he's back. And uh, you know, we saw him in training as well. Mitro's there, who's having fun trying to tackle Solomon. Uh, it, it just feels like there's a really good feeling around the group, despite what has been quite a rough couple of months. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be taking too much of its toll on the group. I think you're probably right that Wilson, his confidence has been a lot lower than the rest of the group. Um, I'd, I'd probably throw Pereira in there as well. Pereira seems to have been a little bit down recently, but I feel like everyone is just getting to the stage now where we're coming towards the end of the season. The pressure is starting to ease off a little bit and we're starting to see everyone just relax into the fact that this has just been such a good season so far and, and hopefully they're enjoying it as well. Um, can, I, can I just say one, guys, one other thing, Jack? Yeah, go, um, go, go, go. Um, it, it, you know, when, when you're managing elite-level sportsmen in elite-level competitions, when there's so much at stake, it must be so tempting, particularly if you've got access to the funds, so tempting to just find, pick, select, buy the best, best, best footballers you can find, right, obviously. But I, I really take my hat off to Silva, and I, I don't know if it's just me, but it just seems like to him good people, good humans is, you know, is actually a pretty high priority for him. And I think he's he's actually amassed this team of people who seem to be pretty good guys, I don't know mm. if I'm getting carried away, but they seem to be good people who gel together well, who are a really happy bunch of campers, and they just seem to love each other and want to play for each other, and it's a bit to be enjoying their job as footballers. They seem to love it, and that's I don't a care big what, thing. I don't care what anyone says. Shane Duffy is a vibe higher. Like they, I feel like they've literally just hired him because they're like, we like Shane Duffy around. He's hilarious because he seems to be really, really, really well liked for somebody who's barely ever playing. But you know what I'm saying? It's, you know, if you look at, I don't know, um, Man City, I don't think anyone gets picked on personality at Man City. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I think Silver. I think it's really important to him as part of his man management objective to have good human beings that work well together and connect well, connect up well together. Yeah, I think am I am I alone I here? No, I think I that's know, the mark I agree of with that. I think I think that actually makes a good team because I think you're 100 percent right. Like, if um you you can get a team of good players, but if you have a group of people who don't want to work for each other and don't want to like play with each other if they don't want to pass each other the ball you can't score goals totally totally and, yeah vinicius is hilarious i think it's i think it's what every team is is aiming to do at all times is to you know 
become a better unit. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt in that. Um, and I think Fulham have done a very, very good job of it as well. I think we are just proving that we, you know, it, it's not just about ability at the end of the day. It's about how good you are and how cohesive the whole unit is. And I think Fulham have proved this season that they've done a really good job of getting a really good culture around the team all year. And it, it's turned into results. Mm. And, and I'd like to think that if if Marcus Silva had an absolutely open checkbook with the deepest possible, you know, you know, reserves, he would just never sign Ronaldo, ever. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah, he definitely wouldn't do um, it at Chelsea. Yeah, <clears throat> that, that, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. Let's uh, move on as we come towards the end of this episode, though. Uh, look at a little bit of latest news. Now, I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes just talking about an article that was in the Times. And I, look, I, I admit I haven't seen the whole article, but I've got the gist of it. And it was effectively uh, an interview with Shahid Khan that he did uh, in response to the backlash that he's received for the ticket prices at Fulham. Um, and, and I mean, the title in itself will give you a fairly good understanding of of the general gist of the uh, the article, uh, which is effectively Fulham need the fans, but we also need to be sustainable. Um, Shahid mm-hmm. Khan has come out and basically said that you know the reason the prices were, were made so high is that that money that then comes in will then be spent on players. Now. Without having, I don't think either of you have seen the article, but without having no. read the article, Dad and Sam, um, I'll throw it to you first, Dad. Do you feel like Khan is sort of covering his tracks a little bit here? Like, we understand that obviously you're trying to raise some money, but we did discuss it previously and say, you know, in terms of ticket sales, it it, it only accounts for about 10% of Fulham's entire turnover. And surely there's a better way to raise money than ripping off basically the general public who spends their hard-earned money on tickets to games and you're pricing out people who've been Fulham fans for potentially their whole lives, maybe season ticket holders in the Riverside stand who now are faced with their season tickets tripling in price or, or people who go along with their families and are now looking at having to shell out thousands of dollars for season tickets and, and the price being increased by you know, 18 to 20% when it's way above what inflation is. And you'd understand if the prices went up alongside inflation, but the fact of the matter is it, it feels like a money grab and it feels like Khan is trying to justify this by saying, well, you need to make money to spend it on players. So Mr. Khan is he's a very successful businessman and I'm sure he's very attuned to managing his investors and trying to keep everyone sweet. And those are the kind of words I'd expect him to say in -hmm. response to a bit of a backlash. But I'd be putting it really simply this way. You know, what are they, I think they're, correct me if I'm wrong, are there 204 £3,000 seats which are getting all of the press or the headlines at least? I, you know what I'd do? I'd actually go, right, let's make it 500 marquee seats in the Riverside because it's only 500. Call it 1,000 if you want. Charge 5,000 pounds if you like, but make 
season ticket in the hammy end, season tickets in, you know, the Putney end, the Johnny Haynes stand, and the majority of the Riverside stand, really affordable, absolutely affordable. Let's not talk about 20% price increases in in these times. It's offensive to, to most people. And I'm not interested in the fact that some people find it good value and cheap and relative to other forms of entertainment, excellent value. That may be well, well be true, but for the majority it isn't. And if, if I were having to take my two sons and possibly a couple of grandsons to uh, football every second week, uh, I, you know, finding an extra six, seven hundred pounds uh, a season for, for a season ticket is, is not insignificant dollars. So what I'm saying is I don't care how you raise money. You can be as commercial as you like, but don't actually put the burden on 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 you know the majority of income stream on on the fans on the broad base of the fans do it in other ways you'll remember jack one cricket club we used to belong to who found themselves in 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 need for plenty of money to keep themselves afloat every year and what they did was actually find ways to raise money which didn't necessarily involve um events for players or yeah, for club members, but they made that money in order to stay afloat without actually prejudicing or disadvantaging club members. Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting one. I know you. You, I'll come to you in a second, Sammy. But I was just going to say that we've both been part of running cricket clubs, admittedly much smaller, but and definitely not on the same scale and, and not the same importance as running a Premier League football club, but. At the same time, we've both been in a position where you need to raise money and you sit down with a committee and in this, in, you know, that case, it would be a board at Fulham and you discuss it. And, but always at the front of my mind, at least, and I, I hope most boards' mind would be you don't want to inconvenience your, your supporters, your players, your fans. Um, you want to, and we're talking here about, you know, the fees that we would charge players and that was always the last resort you don't want to put any cost on the people who support your club the people who do things for your club and you know in in our case when we're talking about running a cricket club it's the players but in Fulham's case it's the fans and you'd you'd hope that if if Fulham are trying to raise money the last thing that they would do is put that onto the fans you'd be thinking why can't you make the extra two or three million that you're going to get from ticket sales by just being a bit smarter about your sponsorship and, yeah, well, exactly. and taking on exactly. better sponsors or or finding be, be other ways creative. to raise this money. Why yeah. why is it being put on the fans, the supporters of your club, to be the ones who have to raise the money? Uh, yeah. um, Go on, Sammy. Yeah. Well, look, for me at least... Um, I, I and I will openly be the most anti-capitalist of the group. I don't have a lot of faith, I guess, in um, the moral compass of the very, very wealthy elite. Um, and I, like, shamefully, I think if you are spending this type of money on this type of club, I, I think it's hard for me, at least, to not expect them to kind of 
put themselves in a position where they feel like they can um, basically take these money from these people. Um, it's really, really hard. It's very, I'm finding I'm I'm trying not to mince my words, and I'm trying to be as you succinct. are mincing your words. So what are, what are you really saying? Sam? <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying you can't ask a billionaire to be ethical. <laughs> oh, thank you. Excellent. Glad we got that out of you. I, I think I, that's, I, a, I that's think a, like, a fine point to make. I don't think you, there's anything you, wrong with making that. I think point. you can ask it. I think you can ask a billionaire to be ethical, but you can probably expect you can't not expect always it. Gonna... <laughs> It's um, just, it's, I, I, well, I would actually, I would actually hope that um, you maybe you can't ask a billionaire to, or you can't expect a billionaire to be ethical. But I would hope that the advisors around him, and you know, that's that's part of what the Fulham Supporters Trust are meant to be doing as well, uh, are around him and saying this is going to be really poorly received by the fans. I think you really need to reconsider passing the cost on to them if you're trying to raise. Two million, and if it is two million pounds at the end of the day, like I, I don't think actually, it, I don't think this is the case of ethics, Jack. It's not. It's not ethics. It's actually commerce, because yeah. if you if you piss the fans off, they're emotional. This, this is their lifelong pursuit. It's their passion. You piss them off, they simply won't. You'll you'll get them to a point where they can't afford, genuinely afford to come to the game anymore. They won't turn up. It'll be like playing during COVID for our players. And the net result of that will be a very, very dull place to play football. And no one will actually want to play for Fulham, you know, in I, the extreme here. Mm. So I it, do think, so, sorry, sorry, so, Dad, I do think it's a bit more insidious though. I do think it's literally like they're just going tough. Like you're a fan. You love the club. Show me how much you love the club. But, but I think you're, you're right. I think that's is the view they're taking. But I think you do, there are finite resources. People don't have endless amounts of money and mm. they will come to a point where they'll stop going on holiday or they'll stop buying their kids new shoes because they love Fulham so much. But there will be a point where they'll top out and maybe it's 800 or 900 pounds uh, a season of begrudging payments, but there will be a point where they simply can't do it. And if you if you try and play those sort of economics with your fans as a club owner, you, you're stupid because it is actually dumb commerce at that point because you have mm. to have fans. Well, you must have fans. I'll, I'll jump in with an interesting point, uh, and we'll sort of wrap it up off the back of that as well. But uh, an interesting point, which is something hey. that Khan said in his interview, which was the the people complained when we set a hundred pound tickets for the Liverpool game. But all of those tickets sold out, and that is basically what he's basing it on. He's saying we set a price; people said it was too high. We sold all those tickets. It it Mm. almost—he doesn't care who those tickets went to. They may not be Fulham fans; they may be tourists. I think at the end of the day, he's looking at it and going, "Yep, we set a price high, but we've obviously done some sort of market research and decided that we can sell those tickets at that price. Therefore, why wouldn't we?" It's literally and housing, in terms isn't of it? A, a business decision, in terms of a business decision, I totally understand it. In terms of being a Fulham fan, and you know, admittedly, it doesn't affect us uh, being over here in Australia because we don't pay for season tickets. We don't even pay for tickets. Um, but it it just feels wrong, and I think everyone can agree that it feels wrong. And I think it, it speaks volumes that that was his reasoning that he gave for 
why they were able to charge that much for tickets because well, in, in his eyes and uh, assume the board's eyes, if they set them at that price, they're going to sell anyway. So we might upset a few people, but we're putting some more money in our pockets. It, it's a sh very short-term view, which I think is going to bite them on the ass if they if they keep playing that game to the you know to the natural end. It'll bite them on the ass, and what they'll end up is with uh, a, a bunch of people on holiday in London for the weekend, filling the stands. You know, honestly, that's not what we want. Honestly, from everything that I've said, I don't want it to sound like um, uh, me me thinking that is in me in any way agreeing with it. I think it's disgusting, and I I genuinely hate it. I think it's think it's ruining all aspects of life as well as football as well but i do think that is the reality and i think they would almost rather um a welcome delete who can pay those tickets than satisfying people genuinely yeah look it's 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 disappointing uh and i i hope that the fulham fans who are able to make a difference by you know being at the game and um, effectively protesting. I'm not not saying we should protest, but I feel like more needs to be done to try and get the message across to the club that the fans aren't happy with this. And there's not a huge amount of ways that you're able to actually do that apart from with action, and that that action is effectively not rocking up to games, not buying tickets. Mm. Um, but it's it's a tough thing to ask because you know. Even if you don't agree with the ticket prices, you want to go and watch your football team play. It's what yeah. you do every Saturday, and um, it's a big ask to to basically sacrifice something that gives people a lot of happiness, even if you want to actually protest something. So I do understand it's a, it's a rough position that people are in, um, and I, look, I hope that the club do listen to uh, the supporters. So far, they they haven't, by all accounts. Um, I, I really hope that does change though at some point soon because. Uh, Fulham fans need to just keep making noise about this because if you if you accept it and let it happen, it'll keep happening in the future as well, which we just don't want to see because it's just going to ruin what is a, a great football club. Um, look, guys, let's Agreed. finish up there, though. We don't have a cottage cheese today, unfortunately, but Sam's assured me that he's actually going to be prepared for next week. Is that right, Sammy? That's right. That's right. Well, That's I say right. next week. It's actually going to be in about two days' time. Um, yeah. So... Let's let's wrap it up there, though, guys. Really looking forward to this one. Dad, you're going to be waking up for a 2.45 a.m. kickoff? Oh, gee, I, it ruins my day. I'm too old for it. But I, I kind of – I'm very tempted to, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm quite tempted to. Ruins Look, your day I sitting might... in the cafe window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. No, I well, – Sammy, I that's, a, like that's a nice wake-up for you there, Sammy. That's just a – just an early morning for you, Sammy. Set the alarm look, a couple of hours early. Oh, look, I might have it on when I'm in the car because I got to like drive relatively early. But like, uh, maybe. Oh, tough. Enough. Hard, maybe. Tough enough. <laughs> it's a that's a very soft maybe from you, Sammy. Um, it's a very soft maybe. But guys, I, I think this this game, although it seems like a bit of a not necessarily a free hit or or a game that doesn't feel like it has that much impact on the rest of our season. I think this is actually a really important game for Fulham. And I think if we do pick up three points here, it really could set us up for a big barnstorming finish to the season. It'd be really interesting to see 
what happens if we do pick up the points. It might actually give us a bit of a boost through wins on the on the trot going into the games against Man City and Liverpool. You never know what could happen at that point, and maybe it's not too late for that European push. So, guys, let's wrap it up there. Uh, looking forward to chatting to you guys after this game and and reviewing it because I think we we're in for a bit of a cracker. There's been goals in these games every time we've played against Villa, so I'm looking forward to to seeing how this one pans out. Dad, thank you very much for joining us today. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I love the way you uh, you know popping your chin out there, trying to present yourself as a staunch Fulham supporter, getting up in the middle of the night when everyone really knows that you'll probably be getting up to do the night feed, Jack, while your wife's yeah. still got, got COVID. Come on. Yeah, it's a scheduled thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I, I haven't done a night feed in a very long time, but let's uh, not, not sure remind Tegan that I used to do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she's a beautiful sleeper. She sleeps through really well, apart from when she wakes up six times. Um, but uh, look, it, I can definitely, this one's actually a great opportunity for me to get up and say, don't worry, I'll do this feed. You just re- yeah, relax yeah, and rest yeah. and get into bed and seem like the hero. And then she comes out wondering why the baby hasn't come back 90 minutes later. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, Thank I you, Dave, for joining us to today. <laughs> of course she doesn't listen to this, especially not an hour into an episode. <laughs> and yeah. Sammy, thanks for joining us as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. So until next time, come on you whites. <laughs>